Welcome to Salamander Babies. Tagline. <laughs> I'm Chief Philosophy Officer Lou Gold. I'm Quantum Anarchist Jim Gold. Holodeck Programmer Jen Marshall. And I'm Temporal Timekeeper Mario Panaghetti. This week we'll be discussing Voyager Season 4 Episode 12, Mortal Coil. If you'd like to watch the episode before we kick off our discussion, feel free to pause the show and resume when you're ready. Also, a potential trigger warning, please note that this Voyager episode and thus our discussion today will include mentions of suicide. Neelix is killed on an away mission and is dead for almost 19 hours before Seven is able to revive him. The experience is deeply traumatic for him, though he attempts to hide his distress. It's revealed that Neelix did not experience the Talaxian afterlife he was expecting, or even any afterlife. This leads to a crisis of faith, and Neelix must confront the prospect of nothingness after death. We all gotta do it sometime. I feel like this is less frightening. Talk about this episode? No, confront the nothingness. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought that was like a universal truth. Everyone must confront this episode. <laughs> I think it's still easier than the clown. Easier to confront the episode about the clown or the actual fear clown? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> too, too, uh... Too much right there. Yeah. Is this meta? So I've, I prepared a little bit of a statement just because we went from two, I don't want to say lighthearted episodes, but um, bizarre and um, more diverse episodes to this very heavy episode having to deal with um, death and depression and suicide. Um, so I kind of wanted to give a little bit of explanation just before going into that. In many ways, um, it's a difficult episode because it tackles such heavy content in a way that's largely unrelenting, but it's a bold and refreshing attempt to tackle the issue of the loss of faith that doesn't back down the way that many shows do. It leaves the issue of the afterlife unresolved in a way that I truly appreciate because I feel like the unknown can't be resolved, and rather than some conclusion about the afterlife saving Neelix, it's his foundation in life that ends up saving him. I picked this episode because it was one that stood out to me. I watched Voyager when it originally aired, and this episode aired right after I'd turned 10. Watching this jolly character go through such a profound existential crisis really struck me. I was raised as an atheist, and this was probably the first time seeing what having an afterlife meant to theists. Having grown up and rewatched it several times, I think that it's a respectful treatment of the material that poses questions and has stuck with me the most. All right, now we can shit talk it. <laughs> All right, are we opening up to the floor? Yes. So the last shot in the episode, Naomi's sitting at the base of the guiding tree, and it looks exactly like it looked in Neelix's vision. So it was real. Right, well, that's the question. So is he really good at describing it? Is she, like, actually thinking of this place that is, like, some kind of realm or parallel universe or something? Um, what are they trying to say... What are, the, what are the implications are, are we supposed to get from this? Are, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm going with that. Pitcher plant hive mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Naomi. You finally found her weakness in the past. Uh, it, they just had one set. All right. No. <laughs> <laughs> they have a holodeck. They could just recreate it. <laughs> that's true. I refuse to let that be the explanation. <laughs> There's a science reason for this. I mean, right? It's kind of like they're saying, that's definitely a statement at the end of the episode when you're looking at Naomi and she's like, oh, here I am with all of the people who love me, was actually no one, which is kind of funny. 
Because she's sitting there by herself. <laughs> right. I, so I was really confused what they were trying to portray there. Like, obviously, I think in one level it's like, oh, she's having a nice dream and she's able to get to sleep. But she's in this world with no one else. Like, her mother and Neelix aren't there. And Neelix explained exactly the whole significance of this forest and the afterlife and what it entailed. It just seemed like a really, I don't know, really half-assed way to end it, visually. I, I was going to say that um, I think that it would be kind of amusing if it turned out that, um, I forget which species Naomi is other than human, but... Katarian, I think? Yeah. If, if they also ended up turning out to be telepaths and she just sucks up all of his trauma... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking. I thought you. Oh wow, you took that to a different. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I thought. I thought you were gonna say like she sucked the uh, the actual like visual imagery out of his brain. <laughs> so, originally, that's what I was thinking, and then I realized that she'd see Alexia and her melting with her scary Naomi voice. <laughs> sorry, dark place, dark episode. Yeah, I well, mean, so, yeah. Is the, the the gist that I got out of it was that like it was supposed to be a good dream, and and Neelix and and her mother are not dead, so they wouldn't be there, but. I don't know. It, it, nah, that's fair. She doesn't know that the uh, the Great Forest has anything to do with them being dead. Yeah, it wasn't explained as an afterlife to her. Fair. Yeah, I was going to say, so is Naomi fantasizing about being dead then in this? Plenty of kids do it. It's a normal thing. <laughs> yeah, it's normal. That is normal? <laughs> right, guys? Yes, it's normal. <laughs> well, Let's I mean, go with yes. So it, it's, it's not scared Jen too much. <laughs> Like, like dreaming about an afterlife, that's totally fine. Um, dreaming about even, like, a really nice place, like one might imagine heaven to be, w- would be totally fine. Like, that, that seems like it would be a normal thing to me. So, I mean, in that respect, yes. Sure. I, I think that this is probably why I... I mean, as I said in my little, like, spiel, I think that this is why I find this episode very interesting. Because it deals with faith in an unknown kind of way and it doesn't actually resolve the issue i will say um the depictions of someone being a religious figure a character and their religion being shaken was kind of some of the problems i had with this episode to your point you had stated lou earlier that um you liked how it didn't really have a resolution that like there was sort of an unknown at the end i had a lot of problems with neelix facing his faith having this test of faith and immediately failing it like i don't know you, you hear stories about people having near-death experiences and you know can you truly know what happens after you die and that's sort of the ultimate question of religion and philosophy and, and all sorts of other schools of faith but it just seemed like he turned too quickly and, and i really i feel kind of bad about that because i don't want to question fictional character neelix's faith <laughs> in fictional religion from fictional alien society but it, it seemed a little too quick well, I would like to question Neelix's faith. Um, <laughs> All right, then. Because it was quick, and no, you're right. Kill a lot of people will, like, when presented with things that can't possibly be true to their logic, they'll just deny it. And so he's so willing to be like, okay, I guess there's nothing there. Uh, suspicion confirmed is kind of how that reads to a certain extent when you start to really think about it. Yeah, it seems too concrete and absolute of, a, of evidence of, of the absence of his faith and the basis of his faith being shooken so readily. It, it seems strange to me. The only way I, I could see that working is if there already was some unease on his part. Like, I don't know, he's been through a lot, to be fair. He mentioned it in this episode, like, a lot of his people died and details that I always forget, but it's some kind of genocide or war or something. His significant other, Cass, has just left his life, and, and I could see him being in a more unstable position there, but it's not really established in the story. Like, this, this shaking of faith comes out of nowhere, relatively. So I accept that 
he changes very quickly and maybe it's maybe his wavering of faith like you said there are many factors that could um uh, be piling up in, in the lead up to this episode i haven't watched them in order recently so i don't know if there's any telegraphing in this stuff which i doubt because you know these episodes generally don't um, have any continuity Except, I mean, you know, for those minor character traits. Right. Um, to that point, like, when he's assembling his Vision Quest bundle, he has a flower from Kess's garden. So there's a brief mention of the continuity of Kess was in the show, and now she isn't. Like, they're not going to pretend she's just gone forever. Yeah. So um, I, I will say, quick aside, um, there is a little bit of continuity in this, because Neelix, later on when they go to Dark Space, he... Spoilers. Spoilers. He does have a fear of nothingness um, and void, which is, I find, very refreshing. But um, one of the things that I would interpret his complete, like, abrupt pivot saying there is no afterlife, hard and firm, is in the episode he has a lot of anxiety and harsh rejection kind of avoidance behavior. And I think, ha like, having a fear and just abruptly saying this is definitely the case is one of the ways that that can manifest. So it could, you know, he might not be entirely committed to, okay, there's no afterlife, but if, it, if he's confronted with the possibility, if he's really freaked out by it, he might be attached to that. So about Neelix um, just immediately assuming that since he can't remember um, the details of him being dead, that it didn't happen, um, like, why would he assume that he would be able to remember those things? Um, yeah, like, there's... Is there something in his... Is there a story? I don't think there's a story from that he has told anybody that would be a basis of, well, I was dead for 18 hours, or I was dead for 16 hours, and I remembered everything. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much... No, and that exactly leads into this part, that Chakotay, you know, the token religious faithful character on the show, basically explained to him, like, maybe it wasn't your time to go. Maybe you didn't see this vision because you weren't supposed to be there yet. But Neelix has this, strangely enough, ironically, he has this unshakable faith in biology and life and death division. And he's like, well, I was technically dead and literally dead, therefore there should have been an afterlife. But not a higher level theological sense of, well, everyone has their time. And if I came back to life, it clearly wasn't my time. Like, Borg can't cheat death in a philosophical sense, even if they could in a physical sense. So... I, he just shouldn't have been able to see it if, if it wasn't his time to go. Yeah, I, I had that same thought. There's a completely consistent theological argument that, like, if you had died and you were supposed to stay dead, you, you could easily have gone to the afterlife. Uh, but, I don't know, maybe it just wasn't consistent with the religion in some way, but uh, the fact that you came back is, is a pretty good reason why you shouldn't have gone to the afterlife. So I would say that I think these are good points and I agree with them. Every time I've watched the episode, that's been a thing that's kind of stuck with me because it's just like, you know, if you have faith that there's going to be a thing, then it's, you know, makes sense that you would rationalize it somehow. Like, oh, I'll get there eventually. There's kind of that, you know, it would be nice if, I mean, I guess Jacote did basically say like, oh, maybe you just didn't get there yet or whatever it was. But um, at the same time, one of the things I like about this episode is, and maybe this is me turning off that critical part of my brain um, or going to a different place, but um, I like the fact that um, the reality of the situation doesn't matter. It's the fact that Neelix ends up on this journey. This He has to deal with this question regardless of whether or not, hey, if he died for 20 hours, he would f***ing see the afterlife. 
So I I like the episode because it explores it, even though, you know, maybe there are ways of getting around it, but it, it poses the question and makes the character think it through, kind of, or at least react to it. Yeah, he really fails that test, doesn't he? Yes. Like, through and through, throughout this episode. Like, he's tested on his faith, and he just immediately accepts it's not there, and then he decides to take extreme action. Like, and, you know, to be fair, he has people like Chakotay helping him along in really bad ways, but, yeah, he didn't do a good job there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put an asterisk on the failing on the test thing, because he, his, his faith falters, but... I don't think that his reaction is actually a failure. Um, I think that he handles the situation in a very reasonable way. So um, none of this is a criticism of Neelix's reaction. I, I think that it's actually a very good depiction of a reaction. I to, think it's a very realistic depiction, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think that it's it's realistic and reasonable. I'm going to put that as it, it's a respectful depiction of a reasonable reaction believable yes that's a good way of putting it i mean we saw him reason it out on the show like he displayed his reasons um like detailed them like life has no meaning therefore i don't feel the need to be alive anymore um all of these things happened and um like, I have nothing to look forward to in the afterlife, so I don't feel the need to keep going on. And that was his reasoning. But does his race not have atheists? Like, has no one made, come across this, like, philosophical argument or, or I mean, debate it's in very, society? It's very possible that they don't. Yeah, it is. Because everything in sci-fi is homogenous, right? You yeah. have the desert planet and the snow planet and the but race of believers. The idea that, like... And it... it it may be fair to depict um, like a theist losing faith and then saying, oh, well, nothing, nothing has meaning and therefore, um, and, and therefore there is absolutely no purpose to life and, and therefore I should end my life. It feels like a theist's interpretation of an atheist point of view rather than an actual atheist point of view. And that's fair because like he was a theist and then he, he essentially like made a transition to atheism. And so it's it's like reasonable for him to have that reaction. But the fact that pretty much everybody else on the show is an atheist in some way or a secular, you would imagine that Chicote would be Chipotle would be familiar with Thank you for the correction. Yeah. Um, would be familiar with secular like philosophy about like the the purpose and meaning of life and would be able to fill that in. It's like, no, I mean, he did say, like, we're your family now in a single line. He should have said that like twenty but, like, minutes earlier in the episode. Yeah. I mean the the I'm sorry for going on. But like the entire thing about like atheist um, ethics and morality and and sort of meaning and, and not the whole thing like there there are many different interpretations of it but like one that uh, that sticks out to me is the fact that like everything you do in your life matters <laughs> uh, because you're interacting with people who matter to you and to whom you matter it's all really important like say what you will about Neelix he doesn't lack for personal connections with people and so, like, just reminding him of that should have been, like, Chicote's Chipotle's main purpose. The one thing that I didn't really 
I'm not gonna say one thing. I'll probably end up finding several things <laughs> I didn't like about the um, progression of his uh, emotional, philosophical kind of change. I didn't like the fact that they never got around to explicitly addressing the issue of, well, if there's no afterlife, surely f make something of your current life because, you know, if you kill yourself now, you lost all of your cards. Like, it, I, I feel like I was expecting it to happen um, in the conversation between Chakotay and Neelix at the very end when he was saying, you know, we're your family. I was expecting him to say something along the lines of, like, make your life worthwhile, you know, live for your life, and it didn't happen, and I kind of felt like that was a little bit of a missed opportunity, but, you know, as Jim pointed out, this is a, um, a theist trying to come to terms with losing their faith. Maybe it's a more traumatic kind of thing, and it takes longer to come to that realization, I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, speaking of coming to that realization... He should have spent more, we all should have spent more time talking to um, Seven um, because her perspective was really interesting because the first time I watched this episode, I assumed that Seven, just being, you know, kind of like an emotionless Borg, would have been at peace with the nothingness, you know? Um, but then she goes on about how um, she found comfort in the collective um, and, well, Voyager is her collective now, and I think Neelix could have really benefited in talking with her because obviously that was traumatic for her to be separated from that. Yeah, I, I think that um, if if Seven had somehow been in Chakotay's role, uh, Chipotle's role, for, for a lot of the episode, it would have been more interesting because they do have like drastically different viewpoints on, on the whole thing, and... If Seven had been sort of foiling Neelix's perspective on it, it could have been a, a much more rewarding episode um, thematically. Yeah, I will say that um, they demonstrated even in this episode that Seven's people skills are not quite there in terms of being able to relate to anyone or to provide any kind of real comfort or solace. If like Seven had come upon Neelix as he was like making preparations to, to attempt suicide... Uh, and and just been sort of uh, like a fish out of like the normal fish out of water that she is. Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Uh, and then gotten into a conversation with him. I think that would have been like a great opportunity to like to get into their differences. It would have allowed her character to sort of progress a bit and like understanding people and understanding like how to talk to people. And she she could like wind up talking him down and. Uh, he would sort of wind up in a better place, not fixed or anything like that, but um, but he could learn a lot from her, her perspective and vice versa. Yeah, I almost feel like he would be coming to these realizations on his own instead of just being talked down to by Chakotay. Because like you said, Seven is not really fully functional in this group yet, but by forcing him to restate his thoughts and his, his objectives rather than just being like, this is what I have to do, this is what I have to do. If he had to actually explain it, then he might actually like get more introspective on it. Um, the other thing I wanted to see in this episode is like every character's perception on life after death. They basically spend an, a single corridor walking scene with Seven talking to Tuvok about how the Borg live forever. Tuvok doesn't respond with what Vulcans think of the afterlife, or we don't hear anyone in the Federation humans what they think of the afterlife. Like I think that's 
would have been an important contextualization. And maybe the problem is that they're all written as atheists and they didn't want them to say, nothing happens and we're cool with it. And we just don't think about it too much because that's what really would be happening. Yeah. I, mean, I would have been okay with that. It would have been an interesting episode, <laughs> but it wouldn't have helped Neelix very much. Yeah. I mean, contextualizing the entire thing would have helped a lot. That helps in a lot of episodes like this where they focus on a single subject and then you hear the average person's perspective on it throughout it because you get differing opinions and then you get, oh, everyone has their own take on this. Maybe it's not going to be that bad, Neelix. Maybe like everyone's trying to figure this out and you didn't just stumble upon it because you were brain dead. So I've got another take on this. Yeah. So we're talking about the metaphor between um, the episode and like theism slash atheism. But also, I was thinking about it as kind of like a coming of age for Neelix's character. Um, Like, you know, previously he was just the happy jelly, um, I'm never in a bad mood, I'm always so happy, um, etc, etc. And now he's finally, he's been thrown some hardness, some harshness in his life, and now we see how he deals with it, just as like any child or anybody growing up is going to have to figure that out. Um, like confronting death for the first, obviously it's not the first time that Neelix has confronted death, but his own death, um, and thinking about that, it definitely gave him more depth as a character um, that any viewer watching the series is going to remember, and he's probably he does remember it in future actions, um, being afraid of the nothingness. Um, you would think that would make him less afraid of the nothingness, but... You know, whatever. Maybe it's supposed to show that he's still figuring it out. Because, like Lou was saying at the end of this episode, he doesn't have everything... He doesn't have his shit together. Like, he's not like, cool, I've either come to terms with it or I believe in it again. Like, it's made really unclear which of those is the case. And he just walks out of the transporter room. And (laughs) And tucks Naomi into bed. Yeah. (laughs) And goes back about his business. Yeah. I have a non-philosophical... Um, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Good. Yes. <laughs> this is a really heady opening. All right. So, um, Seven can pretty much make the whole crew immortal now. <laughs> yes. Um, where does that stop? Uh, I guess, yeah, next time, you know, Harry Kim does something stupid and kills himself, Seven to the rescue. I just like to think that they had a like staff meeting after this and were like, maybe we shouldn't bring people back from the dead. Maybe they'll just like become suicidal after this. Like, <laughs> They're all sitting around like, do we play God? Like, do we just do that? <laughs> I want us to go around the table and come up with explanations for why they can't use the nanoprobe revival technology ever again. So my idea for that yeah. is the nanoprobes made Neelix suicidal. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was totally the nanoprobes. And like, they do it two more times and it was a 100% failure rate. <laughs> They try it on some lower crew. <laughs> yeah, some two two ensigns wind up biting it in some <laughs> transporter accident, and then they both off themselves immediately afterwards, being revived. Like we're them. shuttering this project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're oh, this is this went really bad. So uh, there is a little bit of a mention at the, um, earlier in the episode where Seven's talking about the Borg don't tolerate imperfection, and they were just like, "What the fuck is relaxing? Get this out, never again." <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be an explanation. I would say that um, if everybody had nanoprobes in their body, it would attract the Borg. That's the Ooh, explanation that I would use. One. I think that uh, Seven's nanoprobes aren't replenishable, so they would have to harvest them from other drones, and there was just a big uh, philosophical debate about whether that was okay to do. That would be an amazing like alternate universe <laughs> where would. Voyager hunts Borg. They're like Borg nanoprobes. vampires. <laughs> that would be 
red. Stealing Borg blood <laughs> to keep their crew alive. Uh, this Jen, is, get on this fic. Yeah, seriously. This is too real because that's exactly what happens in real life with horseshoe crabs. They get their blood drained. Oh yeah, I've seen that thing on Facebook going mm. well Wait, a long what? time it's ago. A, it's a fascinating article. By whom? By Humans. by industry by 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 companies that do this, so um, so horseshoe crabs obviously they're crustaceans. Um, crustaceans have open circulatory systems, mm-hmm. so like their blood is just sort of is the interstitial fluid in their between their organs, and it gets cycled a good. I think it's purple. I was going to say is, I think it's a different color. I it's blue. It's so um, it's hemo- blue so, in oxygen. Yeah, oxygenated, yeah. it's blue. Mm-hmm. So, um, normal, like, m- mammalian and m- most animals on Earth, oxygen is, is propagated through their bloodstream using hemoglobin. Yes. So, hemoglobin is a molecule that binds, that, that collects oxygen and takes it around. He- the hemoglobin in, in a red blood cell is red. In crustaceans, uh, they use a copper-based substance called hemocyanin. Mm-hmm. Cyan. Okay. Blue. It's blue. Oh, so they're harvested for pigment? No, they're not. It's like holistic medicine, I think, or something. Uh, no, it's actually uh, used in pharmaceutical testing. Oh, so, legit medicine. Uh, yes, it's really important. With the open circulatory system, uh, any foreign bodies in the circulatory system wind up being able to cause huge amounts of damage. Uh, and so horseshoe crabs, at, at least, have developed... A certain substance within their blood that whenever it encounters a foreign body it immediately gels hmm. and so the idea is that any foreign matter gets gets a gel covering around it even microscopic things uh, and these get filtered out like viruses yeah interesting viruses bacteria pretty much anything winds up getting a coating and and all of that gets filtered out through some like liver type mechanism. When a pharmaceutical company is is doing QA essentially on the things they produce, anything that is not foreign and I'm not sure exactly how they um, do this like presumably the actual drug that they're producing winds up being like non-reactive to this stuff, but anything that is reactive to it needs to be filtered out. Every year Thousands of horseshoe crabs are captured and drained of their blood and then released back into the wild. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> it's the looks on faces right now. <laughs> yeah, so this is, a, this is a real thing that happens right now. Makes it even better sci-fi because it's allegory for a real thing. There we yeah. go. Um, I, I now really want to draw a picture of a Borg horseshoe crab. <laughs> a Borg shoe crab. A Borg shoe crab. Sounds cute. <laughs> I don't yeah. actually know what horseshoe crabs look like. I'm picturing like a horseshoe. horseshoe. <laughs> so they're they're sort of arc shaped, and then they have the the like the carapace is essentially smooth, mm-hmm. and then their claws and and stuff are all sort of out the back. Okay. They look like they should have been extinct a long time ago. Yeah, they they like don't alligators. <laughs> they look weirder than alligators. No, hold on. Yeah. The alligators are awesome looking. They're dinosaurs. I'm yeah. just saying, they look like dinosaurs. Who were around at the same time as Jesus Christ. Before, really. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, exactly him. Another issue with this is um, these substances can be synthesized artificially, uh, but because the industry exists to 
harvest the blood of these animals, there's a lot of opposition to synthesizing it artificially. Interesting. Because it's a multi-million dollar industry. But one would think that Big Pharma, who could make more money off of synthesizing this own stuff rather than paying these fishermen to go do it, that they would be rallying for that. The, the, the industry's large enough, it can yeah. sustain itself that way. Like, the, uh, the like structures um, are all there. Oh. Yeah, like uh, oils against uh, alternative fuels. Like the industry is just too large to overcome in a lot of cases. So I think that this is all the more reason why we need a Star Trek series that takes place after Voyager, Deep Space Nine, because yeah, I want to see some people hunting Borg for their nanoprobes. <laughs> that and that, shit, that shit's not going to happen like, in uh, Discovery. Yeah, the, uh, the put-upon Borg, the fugitive Borg. Mm-hmm. I want post-Voyager so much. That would be about They that. have quantum slipstream and Borg shields on their ship at the end. Well, I guess you could play uh, Star Trek Online. <laughs> I guess I can watch Nemesis. I, I like Nemesis. <laughs> you monster. You like dead data? Oh, I like dead data. I like oh, no. Tom Hardy. That's it. <laughs> Spitting image for Picard. Mm-hmm. He's Ron a I mean, yeah, generally. That too. Yeah. I don't know. I just like, I like all of the TNG movies, even if I know in my brain that they're not good. Insurrection feels a lot like an episode of the show. It does. I'll give it that. It could have been 40 minutes long and been fine. I agree with that. Let's talk about Chipotle as the spirit guide. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you tried really hard to say that right the first time, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like an extension um, of like earlier episodes where they're really trying hard to make Chipotle the spiritual one. It reads as cringy, and now it's kind of like, oh, well, this is nice. You're being nice to Neelix, even though I don't know if it's um, the acting or like the the mannerism with which he's interacting with um, Neelix, but it feels very like sigh. I guess I'll walk you through this. It's like that that's... might speak to the the poor quality of the work he provided for him. Yeah, because like you know he's always so um, by he I mean Chipotle. He's always so into his work as a spirit guide. Maybe that was just with Janeway, um, which you know, mm. that's my theory. I, that explains a lot. Yeah. See? He, Subtle flirting. He definitely didn't put any real effort into helping Neelix. He's like, oh, you want to have a vision quest? Sure. Let's plug you in. Uh, I'm not going to explain how this works or or how to contextualize any things you're seeing in your head. Just you know, do your thing and meet with me tomorrow and we'll see how it went. Yeah. That was what I wanted to touch on too. It was like very hands-off for someone whose fantasy was becoming a professor of anthropology. <laughs> It's like he has no interest in like what Talaxians actually believe. He has no interest in, in any issues that that Neelix might be experiencing after coming back from the dead. Like he's he's the closest that the entire ship has to a counselor, basically. He is a horrible counselor. <laughs> yeah, and he is really bad at it. It's true. It kind yeah. of makes me wonder how many people on the ship, if Neelix had gone to them with his problem, would be like, yeah, and because <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone else on the ship didn't need a vision quest to like, know what they believed in and to help him through right. that troubling time. And a counselor would have done this so much better with or without an Akuna. Is that what's called? Akuna? Ak- LSD machine. Yes. LSD machine. Yeah, no, you're right with Akuna. 
I was thinking a Kuchimoya. A Kuchimoya is, is the chant that starts yeah. the yeah. vision quest. Yeah, there's a lot of A sounds in there. We have our first vision quest episode, and it did not disappoint in how it presented <laughs> accurate Native American vision quests. I read a piece of trivia that said that um, originally, well, not originally, actually, the second iteration of this um, draft was that Chakotay was going to be the one that died. But they found out that Turns out, Native American um, theory on afterlife is much more complex than they had been planning, and they didn't want to screw it up. So they were like, uh-oh, let's not have this be a Chicote episode. Let's do Neelix, because Talaxians haven't been talked about, so we got free reign on that. Oh, hey, we were going to have it be uh, Chicote. I guess let's make him be the spiritual guide. Other random piece of like creepy side trivia was the original draft. Uh, Samantha Wildman, is mm-hmm. that the name? Ensign Wildman, yes. Ensign Wildman, um, she was going to die. And they were, yeah, the early, the early, according to the trivia on, online, the early, early draft had her dying, being resurrected, and then her trying to kill Naomi <laughs> and resurrect her in order to create what? a bigger bond between them. You know, strong mother-daughter shared bond. Oh, my God. And then the writers were like, wait a second, we're having a mom try and kill her daughter. <laughs> what the f*** are we doing? Uh, let's kill Chakotay. Oh, shit, we got problems here. Third I mean, right time. At least they figured out that they shouldn't have a mother try to kill her daughter on the show. <laughs> yes. Or have problematic Native American depictions yeah. more than they already do. Right, yeah. It's like they finally got around to figuring out that was a bad look for them. What a weird, what <laughs> but, a weird journey that takes, though. Yeah. They, they went through two different terrible, <laughs> terrible thoughts, and they wound up like, oh, let's just make up the Great Forest. <laughs> I want to know about the f- <laughs> first drafts of other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Originally, they all got assimilated. <laughs> I do like that it was Neelix, though. Um, it felt right for his character. We already have emotional ca- or emotional episodes with Chicote, Chipotle, but like Neelix doesn't really get that many opportunities to like take off of take off his like cheerful shell, you know, um, and see his like actual um, relationships with people and things like that. And at least it wasn't Harry Kim. <laughs> Yeah, and and I will say, to your point, Ethan Phillips did a really good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, he spent so much time being comic relief and this kind of jovial character and just being the silly side character that is of no real consequence. You know, he's here for a reason because we need an alien on the show who's a native. But he ended up, like, really playing to the depths of that character in in interesting ways. Mm -hmm. Also, um, he does that acting with a fuckload of makeup on, which is really hard and, like... His subtlety in a lot of these scenes was really nice, so major props. His shuddering. Like, I just thought he could really push it out when he needed to have a powerful moment. Yeah, um, when we were watching the episode, I was I was thinking about how expressive Robert Picardo is, but, I mean, he's not doing that under, like, 16 pounds of latex. Um, <laughs> Ethan Phillips, I think I mentioned this uh, early on, but I think Ethan Phillips is a really good actor. He's, For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else has he been in besides this? I mean, I know you've mentioned that before, but I don't... Uh, I think he was an actor who had a lot of bit parts in, in shows at the time where he showed yeah. up on like a single episode or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, did, did he make a cameo in First Contact? Was uh, that... Yes. Yes, was he was he... a holodeck character. Yeah. He was like the club owner or something? In the yeah. Dixon Hill simulation. Nice. Yeah. And Robert Picardo was in that episode, too. Mm, yeah. As yeah. the Enterprise nice image. Yeah. I thought they discontinued that uh, version, though. Ah, <laughs> well, let's see when the episodes air. <laughs> they were on a long mission. They hadn't come back for their software updates. Mm-hmm. 
you have to plug it in. You have to have a certain amount of battery power to run the update. They just didn't have time. They could have gotten the Andy Dick version, but they decided not to. <laughs> they didn't upgrade. We'll never know what the Mark Three and Four look like. Failed the patch. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought Chicote was completely irresponsible in, in his efforts. As well-intentioned as they were, they were half-assed and without the guidance that he's given in other episodes where he was literally a voiceover in someone's head during their vision quest. Like, he was totally hands-off. He didn't do proper follow-up. He knew that Neelix was in this unstable mental state. Neelix clearly had suicidal tendencies earlier in the episode. Well, I mean, it, it's it's kind of questionable how much he knew. I mean, he's clueless. Well, he certainly seemed clueless when they were in the holodeck watching Neelix watch himself <laughs> die. Yeah. yeah, that was a big faux pas on, Ch- on Chipotle's part. Right. It, made, it made him look, it made Chipotle look heartless. Yeah. <laughs> like the like, whole beginning to end. It basically, like, his perspective on it was like, oh, was that going to be a problem for you? <laughs> I will say, at least he cared, sort of. I'm not going to say that the rest of the cool crew didn't care, but they didn't seem to notice that Neelix was having problems. And, like, f- Tom, like, did the, you don't know how to make pizza still. And, like, he just, <laughs> like he just died. Yeah, you could see Neelix, like, I'm going to f- stab you. <laughs> I mean, maybe it spoke to a bigger issue, because outside of the mess hall and, like, very occasional conversations with the captain, he doesn't really have a lot of, like, extracurricular interactions with the crew. Like, he wants to be the barkeep guy, but he's not building any deeper connections. And that's a big reason why he probably went to such a dark place. He didn't have anything to hold on to, except for Naomi, eventually. This has happened before, though, too. Like, when you're looking at the other crew members' um, interactions with, like, somebody in the episode, like Neelix. It happened before in that episode with Seven. Like, she's doing everything herself, and then, like, the entire crew is against her. And it's kind of like... Why doesn't this affect you more? Because um, it's like, is that how everybody really thinks? I mean, it might be. They're under the evident, or the they're under the influence of the the thrall of the pitcher plant thing. Mm. But then, um, like Neelix is kind of seeing, like, oh, so when the chips are down, this is how you guys are going to treat me. But uh, of course, he's not going to look at it that way because he's not a bitter bitch. Well, yeah, and the difference here is is the rest of the crew was genuinely, seemingly oblivious of his issues. Like, he was seething in silence. He reached out to Dakota because he is a spiritual person, and that failed him utterly. Or succeeded, depending on what Neelix was going for, in that mental state. But, like, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't have friends. Yeah. And that's a problem. I think, I mean, so, uh, you, you said that he, he kind of reached out to Chipotle. <laughs> uh, did he, did he, or he using the app? He didn't, he didn't actually. Well, it costs a little extra. Aw. Especially in the Delta Quadrant. So, um, <laughs> Shipping costs are insane. Yeah. It's like the East Coast out there. You have to find a wormhole. But he didn't actually like really reach out to Chicote. He just happened to be caught in his trauma. He summoned Chicote into sickbay after he'd had the episode. Well, uh, specifically asking to go on a vision quest. So, so okay, yeah. I, I was thinking more like earlier when he has when he confesses the nothingness. I, I see that as the beginning of their relationship. Oh, it, gotcha. So, where Chicote's trying to give him a little bit of support and therefore establishing the connection, and he falls back on it mm. when he has a moment of desperation. You know what could have been an interesting alternative to Chipotle and the Vision Quest? Is um, since we know that Neelix has a um, relationship with Tuvok, like, so Tuvok 
let's say he asks him to mind meld with him to see if he didn't forget the afterlife when he was brought back to life. Let's say that Tuvok lies about this. And he's like, yeah, you totally saw some cool stuff. That was awesome. I mean, Tuvok would not do that. That's an interesting thought experiment, though. Right. But that, w- that would be a great way to get into, like, Tuvok's perspective on the afterlife. I'm like, he, he could be sort of a, a... I mean, Neelix definitely looks up to him in some ways. From the and, beginning, yeah. Yeah, and, like, that could be a way for Tuvok to sort of congenially um, say something like, just because you didn't see anything doesn't mean nothing was there, or something like that. That's I don't exactly know. exactly how Tuvok would say it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could see that also backfiring in a way that could work for the story because they establish in the first Voyager Q episode that Vulcans practice assisted suicide for medical, logical reasons. And so I imagine that could come up in conversation and send him down a darker path or, or something like that. And that would be interesting from a storytelling perspective, too. Yeah. I would say, on the other hand, um, since Vulcans look at suicide as a very logical thing sometimes, he could very logically explain to Neelix that that's not something he should be considering. Right, he would explain why Vulcans don't commit suicide all the time. Like right. He's like, there's there's reasons we do it, and there's lots of reasons we don't. Yeah, I think that that might have even helped Neelix. I, mean, I don't know, I've never been in that situation. Make him approach it logically, or yeah. try to. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I think every situation can be improved with Tuvok. <laughs> I agree. Why, thank you, Mr. Vulcan. <laughs> that yeah. brings up a good point, though. Like, Why do we have a vision quest guy and a mind meld guy? Like, It seems like those have very similar outcomes, and they just kind of flip a coin when they decide which one they want to do that the mind trip in the episode <laughs> Tuvok does more than just the mind meld because he does do essentially a f- not a vision quest but guided meditation yeah he puts out his little candle he does the thing and it, he's much more effective much more a really cynical way of looking at it and saying like why why it was Chipotle rather than anybody else is that they had already scheduled people for certain days of shooting well, uh, with with the previous draft where Chipotle was the one who died. And so they were like, well, he's he's already booked for all these days of shooting, so like maybe he needs to be the one in that position, in the, in the consular position. Which would explain the Wildman's uh, inclusion as well. I think that, um, I mean, I'm willing to accept that there might be scheduling considerations, but I think also they're just looking for something for Chicote to do. Because once they got away from the Maquis dynamic and... The Seska, Kazon, the whole like couple of seasons, he kind of doesn't have much of a purpose for a little while, and they're trying to figure out how to give him some sort of um, domain and authority. They don't ever do it. They try. Mm, I don't know. I like him a lot. Um, but you were saying the wild, <laughs> the Wildmans. Um, Naomi Wildman is often looked to as some kind of purpose. She's kind of Neelix's purpose in this episode for bringing himself out of that funk. Like, this kid needs you. Mm-hmm. She looks up to you. She thinks all of your words are gold and she needs your stories. But um, Naomi feels the same purpose for Seven of Nine sometimes. But it's just like, you need like the counter to Seven of Nine's very, like, you know, cold, calculating exterior. And like, here's this adorable child to help you do that. So she's kind of that, that same thing with uh, Seven. I think Naomi's just like childlike innocence is um, a useful storytelling device. You know, like it motivates people to do things, it can motivate people to not do things, um, and she's the only child on the ship. 
at least at the moment. This is speaking larger than this episode, but I think they could have done more with Naomi as a character. Oh yeah, yeah. Like we, we're gonna always make comparisons to Battlestar Galactica, and it really didn't have an equivalent character. Partly because not enough time had passed mm-hmm. in the course of the show. I think it's probably like five years, maybe something like that, over the entire run of the show. I know there's a, a chime jump in season three. Yeah, I think that the Hilo and um, oh dear God, I can't. Boomer. Hilo and um, Athena. Athena, thank you. Um, their kid, I think, Hera. ends up. Good work. Hera's the daughter. I'm sorry. Hera. Okay. Yeah, it's the daughter. Oh, All right. The they got that thing. whole they got that whole shtick thing going. Um, yeah, Hera ends up like being, I think, in the order of three or four years old at most. Yeah. And they do mention that Naomi's species has a fast development cycle, which basically allows them to have a child actor play the role for as long as they need the role. So they don't have to have a literal infant and a literal toddler. They can have someone who can actually deliver lines and, and have storylines. But for a space-born character, which is a cool concept, I think they didn't even really do enough with that. Like, she's, she's a very occasional inclusion in the show, partly because of child labor laws. They can't have her be in every episode or in, in a lot of an episode. But I, I think there was interesting potential that wasn't explored there. I do appreciate the fact that they threw in the line to explain the aging of her, but they didn't do some bullshit, I don't know, let's make her a teenager now. Because I'm pretty fed up with shows being like, uh, it's too complicated to have children, let's just make them adults and not have to deal with the repercussions of the situation. Yeah, they they definitely don't make it look like she fast ages through life. It seemed like it was just an early development acceleration. Uh, they do have her appear as an adult in a time travel episode in season seven. Fucking love with that each episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a really good Chakotay episode. Yeah, that's true. We're going to go to listener mail, which apparently is a say. thing. We have, we have mail? <laughs> we yeah, have you didn't mail. read that? No. Gosh. We're that Tom Hanks movie. We have one confirmed listener which means (laughs) because they sent us an email this email comes from listener dan hello the first two episodes have been great i was hoping to add if not already on the list season four episode 23 living witness that is one of my favorites who knows it might happen question for this week even though the federation has a treaty to not use cloaking tech wouldn't that have solved 90 percent of the issues voyager ran into dan what do you guys think about that voyager had a seven-year run they had a 70-year mission wouldn't they have been able to get through the delta quadrant much more easily if they just cloaked their way through it you're right (laughs) I think there are a fair amount of of episodes that sort of start with like Voyager interacting with some some species like oh we need to we need supplies in some way Um, information yeah we need supplies we need a map we need to negotiate passage through this portion of space I mean that kind of stuff the the negotiating passage can be obviated with a cloaking device but like you're still like infringing I don't think it, it would be kosher with Starfleet to just sort of to stealth their way through someone's other Federation space. Uh, that, that, that probably wouldn't fly very well. So maybe someone who's watched more DS9 than I have can explain, but uh, the Defiant had a cloaking device, and I believe they either had a loophole in the treaty or some exception made for the Defiant or for the Gamma Quadrant. Do you think something like that would have applied to the Delta Quadrant as well? I guess Voyager may not have been privy to that treaty because they were flung out there before yeah. that happened. I, I thought the Defiant was some grandfathered technology that was like, it was on. So, I mean, DS9 was a Cardassian space station. Um, I, don't, I don't know the history of the Defiant. I mean, it has vaguely Federation y tech on it. I don't know why I thought it was built uh, in the course of the show, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I have an image in my mind of Worf piloting the Defiant. 
Um, which makes me want to say that it was like, but now I'm thinking about Mass Effect again and how the Normandy <laughs> was like Alliance and Turian um, in design. I'm like, well, maybe the Defiant was like Starfleet and Klingon in design, which that's, I'm going to headcanon that until I actually read how it came to be. I think I like it was that. something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was like a, a cross um, federation, maybe Romulan. I could be totally wrong, but it was like a multi society treaty that allowed them to use it in this specific instance while in the Gamma Quadrant. Right. And then they also used it in the past in the Tribble episode. Yeah. So, like, let's say that they did have it and then they were just going to, like, stealth their way. Like, and just keep their heads down and not talk to anybody. You know that there would just be, like... It would just get super old with all of the people that are like, we detected your ship under that stealth cloak. Ha ha ha. And then it's like, every week, that's what's going to happen. That's kind of bullshit. Or it's like, either that or they become bullies. Because they're like, oh, look at this. We see this. We're going to pop out of stealth now. And mess with their lives. I feel like Voyager probably wouldn't have a moral problem. I, I don't think Janeway would have a problem using the cloaking more. The way I would perceive it is maybe they use it some of the time um, not to... They don't like intentionally you know, disrespect people's space, but they're traveling through unknown territory. And I don't think that she would be opposed to taking the precaution as long as it was not in an offensive way. But I could see them keeping it up for a certain amount of time and not running into any problems, and that just doesn't become an episode. I mean, you know, there's a certain amount of technology that's going to catch them. There's a certain amount of time that maybe it's not power efficient. Like, I think that if they were able to use it more often in strategic ways, it would be cool, but it would kind of be, I don't want to say a deus ex machina, but it would get them out of a lot of situations that they need to be in in order to make an entertaining show. You mean like Harry Potter? I was going to yeah. say like Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> so I, was, I wanted to reference your guys' favorite show, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Because nice. Doctor Who had a mechanical device called the sonic screwdriver. And it effectively was a universal key that could just open any door or disable any device. To the point where they had to frequently make it not work. So they made a concept called deadlocking. It's like, oh, if something's deadlocked, the sonic screwdriver doesn't work. And so basically in every episode that would happen. And so they wrote themselves in a weird little corner. Like on one level, they had this nice little get-out-of-jail-free card. And when they abused it, they realized they had to go way back on it. And so I think you're right. And if they had a cloaking device, every episode would just be aliens that could see through cloaking devices. Which you don't have in the Alpha Quadrant, but you'd have there. Because otherwise it would break the story. So it's it's purely a writing reason that they don't have uh, easy exits like that. But if you want a story explanation, it's because they also were maintaining the original Federation mission of exploration and discovery, and that would be hindered if they couldn't interact with the life forms. So the, the thing that I'll say to being hindered if they can't interact with the life forms is that there are situations where it's like Year of Hell. Or the Borg or, space. Yeah, where they are very intent on not interacting with the population around them. And they don't generally take advantage of that, which is interesting. I mean, maybe it's just willful uh, ignorance on the writer's part or just, you know, I would like them to, I, obviously the show's done, so it's not like I would like them to do such <laughs> I think and they such. could get back to this. Yeah, if they could uh, revive the show and have some really cool, like, um, battles that utilize it, or I would love a nice heist episode where they utilize it, something like that, that would be fun. I mean, I've had similar dreams as a viewer about the Maquis ship surviving or the Equinox surviving, and then they suddenly have a Federation fleet running through Delta Quadrant. I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool. They'd have space battles and stuff. But it would not make for actually interesting storytelling, I think. The whole point of it is they're supposed to often be outclassed. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I like them being at a disadvantage. I think that it would be fun if occasionally they can get it to work. I know that's corny. That's like the, let's have this little cheat for this one episode. Mm -hmm. But, you know, fuck it. They make shit up all the time to have <laughs> si like silly shit happen. It's all made up anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's not real, but... Yes, it is. Wait, it just hasn't happened wait, yet. Wait, wait, hang on. Hold on a second. Cloaking yeah. technology is not real, Cloaking or the Federation's not real, or Delta Quad. I, I'm, I'm confused. Those things are all real. I don't know where to start here. My life's <laughs> a lie. Um, I was gonna say the uh, the stealth heist that you mentioned reminded me of a part in Mass Effect Andromeda, which was uh, it's one reason that somebody should play Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> we found <laughs> it. Yep. It was pretty. That was a fun. It was a fun it was mission. Buried in there. Yes. It was a good time. I mean, you have to dig through a lot of shit, but the the fun missions are there, and the story is there sometimes. Maybe, maybe if the Delta Flyer had cloaking, but they would just be the Defiant. They would just be rehashing DS9, which was running at the same time. Yeah. So I could see a lot of reasons, though, not to try to go down that route. And they would have no access to cloaking tech, because we rarely saw anything like cloaking tech in Voyager itself. But I, I, I'm sure there were examples. I can't remember many times that they had invisible ships threatening them. Messing with the, the Hrojan. The Hrojan did a lot of that stuff. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. But they might have been like... It was a rarity, for sure. Yeah. There also weren't like large organizations like the Federation in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Kind of interesting, though, is that uh, the Hrojan end up being a really good trade opportunity in terms of technology, because they give them holodecks. They yeah. don't get anything for it. They just survive. Well, yeah, but I mean... But the Hrojan would have killed them all. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> they didn't really trade it's like, anything. Well, you don't have to kill us. You can just like make... <laughs> Fake people we'll to kill, kill. Fake people all day long. So I don't remember it really well, but I believe that there's an episode where they meet up with the Hrojan later on, yeah. and the holodeck holographic people victims are actually more violent or take. So what the what happens is they basically have this never-ending blood sport. But in order to increase the challenge, they make the holograms retain their memories of their previous lives when mm. they're killed and revived. And in the act of doing so, the holograms gain sentience and a need for vengeance. Wow. Yeah. And so they start killing Hirogen left and right. Yeah, so technically the Hirogen, um do need the help of Voyager at some point, and there could have been a trade there, um, but obviously with the treaty issue that Yeah, they, they never really end up with a good working relationship with the Hirogen. Like, at best, they're like, we'll let you run away. Yeah. I probably would have written that episode differently, <laughs> but it would have been a lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool episode, because it's like holographic humans and Klingons like grappling with the fact that they're supposed to be like peaceful people, but they've been treated with such injustice. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's it's an excuse to argue about hologram personhood, which Voyager does a lot. Wait, it's Westworld. Oh, God. That's exactly what I was just thinking. And I was like, <laughs> what show am I thinking of? To be fair, Westworld did Westworld first. It That's was, true. It was a movie well, and a yeah, book. But, I mean, there are parallels movie. there. Yeah. Is... It was a movie written by Michael Crichton. Or Crichton, yeah. I think he did write the book, but it I might have been... They might have coincided, or it might have been a novelization of the movie that he made. But yeah. That's yeah. oh, so good. <laughs> Not the original <laughs> Well, I didn't read the original. I just watched the show. But I mean, also, how good would it be if the Westworld was on a holodeck with, like, Klingons and stuff? That's going to be the awesome. twist, right? That would be so rad. Season I'm, two. I'm pretty convinced that, like, I, I just, I'm waiting for, like, Westworld to zoom out and it to be on the moon or something. Right. It's like, everyone's I, a simulation. Also, everyone's a robot. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, listener Dan. You get your money's worth. <laughs> Send us more mail. <laughs> more money. I think that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Outro. Smooth. <laughs>
tagline title. Almost as long as your tagline. I think that'll do for today's discussion. And now it's Quantum Anarchist Jim's turn to pick our next episode to watch. Next week, we'll be watching Season 2, Episode 16, Meld. Until then, this has been Salamander Babies. You can subscribe to our podcast on salamanderbabies.com. We're on Twitter, at salamandertrek, Facebook, facebook.com slash salamanderbabies, and we've just set up a page on Tumblr at salamanderbabies.tumblr.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at hellocomputer at salamanderbabies.com. Computer and program.